Man, that sounds good. Hey, you may be seated. Glad to have you here this morning at First Baptist. You found your way through the fog. We're grateful for that. Uh, and we're going to celebrate this morning just by uh, being in God's presence and enjoying uh, worship together. So thanks for being a part of uh, service this morning. want to remind you, uh, church members in particular, that the 24th of the month, two weeks from today, is our annual meeting. That's going to happen right after the second uh, service. And so do you, do you need to make plans if you want to be here in person to um, be here after the second service. This morning, between services, we're, we are going to do a virtual town hall meeting uh, that is going to be streamed online for those that uh, can't make it in person to be able to ask questions and go through uh, the budget and uh, the annual report from this last year. You're welcome to stay uh, for that if you like. Uh, however, the, the questions are going to be primarily coming from those that are uh, watching online. But if you want to participate in that by being here, uh, you sure can uh, do that. There will be an in-person town hall meeting next Sunday morning between services. So you can also, they're identical, uh, covering the same material. So you can be here uh, for either one of those. Uh, just a reminder, if you have kids or uh, you have grandkids or whatever, that on the 21st, of the month, uh, Stephanie's doing a big game kids blowout that's going to be a virtual uh, event that's happening online. You can register through the events page on the app, on the church app, or you can do that through the website as well. But Stephanie's excited about that. I've seen the boxes she's putting together. That's going to be great uh, for the kids. And then our youth group uh, starts back uh, tonight, high school tonight, right out front on the west patio. And then Wednesday night, uh, the junior high kids will be meeting. And so Danny's excited about getting back together with them. And then finally, uh, this morning, uh, we are uh, partnering with Koinonia Church and trying to bless uh, the staff at Adventist Hospital uh, this week with some coffee and some cookies. Uh, we want to include, uh, when the coffee uh, gets to them, a prayer on their coffee sleeve. So this morning, if you have some time on the way out and you want to write a prayer to one of the hospital staff at Adventist uh, Hospital, I've got pens, I've got sleeves out there for you to, to do a quick prayer on. If you want to take a few home and uh, write some prayers and bring them back to me this week, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, but it's just our way to encourage them, uh, to bless them for the work that they're doing as they're on the front lines, uh, just dealing with some ugly stuff uh, there at the hospital. So if you'd like to participate, see me out on the lobby, um, sorry, on the patio uh, afterwards this morning. So uh, you ready to continue to worship with this great worship team? They're pretty fantastic. You guys are pretty fantastic, just so you know. Let me, uh, let me pray as we get started this morning. Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence, to be able to celebrate who you are, to acknowledge uh, that without you, we really have no direction, no purpose in life. So as we come, uh, we come first and foremost to lift up your name, to worship you. So would you give us... Uh, great attention? Would, would you be the focus of what we're doing? And then, God, we're grateful for your promise that when we do that, you uh, desire to interact with us. You desire to speak to us. So as we uh, worship and then as we study, we hear your word open to us and we're challenged about uh, what the word of God is all about, how we have come to ha have the Bible in our hands uh, this morning. Uh, God, would you speak through Pastor Peter as he has prepared and worked and, and really listened for your direction, uh, speak through him to us today. So God, you're, you're worthy of our praise and worship this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. Meet us as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great morning.
Hey, hey, how we doing, church? Wow, slow down, everybody. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. If you're new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH. And uh, last week, if you joined us, you got an opportunity to, uh, to hear from Pastor Jeff. Uh, and he noted that I wasn't feeling well. So just an update to everybody. Uh, I did not had, have COVID. Um, I got to explain this numerous times to different people that I didn't have COVID, but that doesn't seem to be enough right now. You also have to offer an explanation as to why you weren't here. So my issues were purely gastrointestinal, and now you all know. So I hope you guys all feel really great about that. Um, But for those of you who checked in on me, I do appreciate it. Um, But beyond that... um, uh, it was something I ate. Uh, some of you are like, nope, there's, that's still one of the symptoms. I get it. It was something I ate. Um, but, uh, but a lot to be said. Jeff, uh, Jeff got 30 minutes notice that he was preaching, okay? And so uh, I gave him my message, and then I said, nah, Jeff, I'm fine. And then I gave him my message. I said, nah, Jeff, I'm fine. And then I gave him my message and said, hey, man, it's all you. Um, and so for Jeff to come out and preach the way he did last weekend off of somebody else's notes, did an incredible job. Give him a fist bump or a, a heart thing, whatever, online um, uh, because he did a great job. I'm super appreciative and lucky to be able to work with a guy like that. So thank you, Jeff, wherever you are. Uh, but this sermon's not about Jeff. It's about how you read your Bible or how to read the Bible. And we are in week two. And I want to give you kind of a quick layout as to how this whole thing is going to work. Last week, we talked a lot about why it's important to read the Bible. This week, we're going to talk about why you can trust your Bible. And then for the weeks following, we're going to talk about methodology, the best ways to be able to read your Bible. We're going to give you some ticks and ticks, hopefully not that, tips and tricks uh, to be able to uh, read into your, uh, your Bible better, to be able to understand it, how to read it with context, all of those different things. And the reason we're starting off this series this year in 2021 is because if 2020 taught us anything, it's really that the emphasis that we've put on being in church in person, um, especially in Western Christianity, has shifted too far to one side And because of that, we have lost the emphasis on being able to read and understand your own Bible. Okay, and so the reason we want to push into this is because the reality is, is we don't know what the future is going to bring. And so we need people, we need people who call themselves Christians to be able to understand what it is that the Bible says and how it is they are supposed to apply that to our lives. Because in the past, man, the emphasis has been, hey, come to church, invite your friend to church and professional Christian we'll go ahead and explain everything else to them for you. Uh, That obviously isn't the way that this whole thing is supposed to shake down. Each and every one of us should should be able to read, understand, and apply scripture to our lives. And I, I mean, I was, I was public enemy number one when it came to those things, right? I mean, I grew up in a household, grew up going to church, doing the whole thing, went to Sunday school, recited verses to be able to get Skittles and not like Skittles, plural, like Skittle, one Skittle for each verse that I memorized, which looking back, they were cheapskates because um, I worked way harder on that than one Skittle. Um, but regardless, like I did those things and then I left church and I wouldn't crack my Bible again. Right? And maybe you fall into that category. But really, this is kind of the equivalent of if you were to sit down knee to knee with your spouse and say, hey, you know what? On Sunday, you and I, we're going to connect for an hour. And you know what? All I'm going to do is I'm going to sit across from you and I'm just going to let you talk at me for an hour. Just talk at me. Anything that's on your heart, you just, you just tell me. And if you want, you know what? You can even sing songs to me too. 
And, and if I really am enjoying myself, maybe I'll say like amen every once in a while. Like that will be pretty fun. Like amen, preach, sister, right? Like preach it. I don't ever say that and I felt really awkward saying it. Um, but all that to be like, and then saying, all right, you know, hey, getting a little frustrated. Your time is up. Like we've agreed that you have about an hour to be able to talk through. And if you go much longer than that, I'm going to get a little bit frustrated. But then once your spouse is done talking, you're like, you know what? I'm going to shut the whole thing off. I'm not going to have a conversation with you or talk with you or hear anything that you have to say for the rest of the week. And then you have the audacity to be like, I don't understand what, what, what my spouse is doing with their life. I don't know why they're making these decisions. I don't, I don't know, maybe have a conversation with your spouse more than one hour a week on Sunday, right? So this is the same thing, really, that we're talking about because reading your Bible is paramount to your relationship with God. It's the story of him rescuing you and I from the worst of the possible outcomes. It's, it's morality wrapped in its pages, telling you the way that you were created to live your life. And just as an aside, okay, last week Jeff said that too many times he hears people say, things like, well, to me, this scripture means, okay? And the danger is, is that we become so biblically illiterate that all we are doing is we are doing our best to apply our meaning to scripture. That is not a healthy way to be able to interpret, interpret scripture because the Bible is, for the most part, not open to how we feel about it. Honestly, the Bible doesn't care how we feel about it. Okay, these are words that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write down perfectly and completely. And while some of it is open to interpretation, okay, the vast majority of the 66 books of the Bible are pretty well interpreted and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correction. Okay, and so the question we're going to answer today is, how can I trust it? How can I trust that the Bible is true? How can I trust that the words that are written down are indeed the words of God? And so today is going to feel a little bit different if you're new with us. Okay, this is a little bit different than what we normally do, but we're going to lean in hard into the classroom today. Most of the time we're at church, today we're going to lead hard into the classroom. And so if you're a note taker, sharpen that pencil, lick the end of that ink pen, whatever it may be, because we're throwing dates, we're throwing scripture, we're throwing theological terms all morning at you guys, and then... Once we're done with that, we'll end it by being at church for just a little bit. You guys good with that? You guys can hang in? Good? Nod? Yeah? Thumbs up online? Cool. So even if you're not okay with it, that's where we're going. So <laughs> you all don't have the, uh, the ability to just click off a screen and I go away. You have to awkwardly walk out. Everybody else online, you got free reign. Um, so how is it that we can trust it? Okay, great question. There's a few things we need to take note here, but the first thing we need to understand is that the Bible is the inspired word of God. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this before. Um, but what does that mean? 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, it says this, all scripture is God-breathed. Everybody say all scripture. There you go. Uh, this half of the room got it right. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's literally what I just talked about, right? Thoroughly equipped. We want all of you, regardless of how we are meeting or where we are meeting, to be able to be thoroughly equipped. It says nothing about a pastor in here. It says that all scripture is God-breathed and available for all the believers to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But when, when Christians claim that scripture is inspired, that's a theological term, what is it that they are talking about? What do they mean? Inspiration is about the relationship between God and the Bible's authors. 
Okay, these men weren't inspired in the same way that maybe you're inspired, right? Where they drive to Yosemite and they're the base of Bridalville Falls and decide to write a poem about it because we're inspired by the beauty. Paul didn't go out to the Sea of Galilee and like look at a sunset and be like, I'm inspired to write the book of Galatians. That's not how any of that worked. And beyond that, on the other side, they, oftentimes people are like, okay, the Holy Spirit then was in, influential in writing, you know, the, the, the word of God. And so maybe the Holy Spirit just came onto this person and, they went into like a catatonic state, and by the time they woke up, you know, all of a sudden, the book of Galatians was written in front of Paul. That's not how it works either. First and foremost, inspiration has to do with the fact that the Bible's ultimate author is God. Okay, the Bible's ultimate author is God. The entirety of the gospel, the entirety of the Bible, rather, is God-breathed, exhaled from God. And so if God offered it, though, then what was the point of having Moses and David and John and Paul and Peter, all of those guys, what, what did they have to do with it? I mean, they get entire books of the Bible named after them, but they really didn't do anything. Weren't they writing the Holy Scripture too? Exactly. The Bible was written by God and humans, or probably more precisely by God through humans. Okay, the Apostle Peter explains it this way, Second Peter 1, 20 to 21. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its orig- origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is an incredibly important passage when it comes to understanding how the Bible was written. Okay, this passage alone. So in other words, God made sure that human authors wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. No more, no less. These authors are also weren't, you know, passive robots with the beeps and the boops and all of the things. God didn't erase their personalities. He didn't commandeer their feelings or anything like that. They wrote as thinking, feeling human beings. And God worked through their unique personalities and educations and background and experiences to enable to inspire them to write divine truth. So as a quick aside, if you have ever read the New Testament and maybe you've written, read something that's written by the Apostle Peter and you compared that to something that's written by the Apostle Paul, okay, these are guys who are proclaiming the same truth, but man, their writing is so much different. Paul is eloquent and he starts a point over here and you're like, where is he going with that? And all of a sudden, when you least expect it, he comes back and slams the door on that point again three chapters later. Paul writes with intention, somebody who was an educated man. When you read Peter, anything that Peter wrote, man, he just writes like a fisherman, right? He just writes like a dude who, like, he had an experience with Jesus. And, hey, I'm going to write this down because it seems important to me. So his words are a lot more choppy. They're not as eloquent as Paul's words or anything like that. And the Holy Spirit uses those two guys very, with two very different personalities, educations, and backgrounds to be able to, to author, help author the word of God. So all of that is great, okay? But the question remains, can we trust it? Yes. And I'm going to keep saying yes over and over and over again. You guys okay? We good? Okay, we're going to keep pushing forward. Okay, so yes, we can trust it because if we believe it's inspired by God, then we get to the point of understanding that God is truth. Okay, God is perfect. God is holy. God is set apart. So if we believe he authored this book perfectly, then we get to the understanding that this book is also truthful. Okay, this book is also truthful. When the Bible is properly interpreted, Okay, the Bible is perfectly true. What it says, God says. It will never mislead you. 
I'm going to pause right here for a second because there's something incredibly important. In one week, one week from today, Pastor Jeff is offering a class where we're going to go more in depth into all things how to read your Bible. Okay? If you think about this message and you're still scratching your head afterwards, you're like, man, I just want more, more hands-on stuff on how to do it, go to our Facebook page. You can sign up for that class uh, anytime before next Sunday. So, Okay, time back in. So when the Bible is properly interpreted, and we're going to keep using that word, the Bible is perfectly true. What it says, God says. Okay, it is never going to mislead you. Okay, so we say it's inspired. We say it's truthful, but let's look at those things. Let's actually take those things out because, let's be real here, thousands of years have progressed uh, with this book supposedly being perfect and true and perfectly inspired, there's got to be some flaws simply because of how many hands it has passed through, right? Don't believe me? Start a Word document and then ask numerous people to contribute to your story and see how cohesive that story actually is at the end of everything, okay? So let's look at that. In order to trust Scripture, we have to trust how we got it. Would you guys agree with that? Everybody, I mean, today, politically speaking, like, what's your source? What's your source? What's your source? Okay, let's figure out what our source is for how it is that we got it. And lucky for us, there's two theological terms that move us toward that trust. The first term is compilation. Compilation. Okay, and we're going to focus largely on compilation today. The second term is preservation. We're not going to get to preservation today. There's too much area to cover, okay? So compilation is exactly how it sounds, okay? How, how did we get what we got? Like, how, where did this come from? And that's a big, big question that we got to answer, to put it uh, another way. How did certain books make it into Scripture, and why were other popular, popular literary works omitted? Okay, I mean, a lot of people, maybe you've heard of the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary or all these other alternative Gospels that a lot of conspiracy theorists love to throw around and just be like, oh, that was omitted because Jesus was actually married to, to Mary and all these different things, Right. Like, you know, go back and read anything written by Dan Brown in the last decade and you'll recognize that that those conspiracy theorists exist. There are good reasons, though, as to why some of these literary works were not included. This is another theological word. We call this the study of the canon, C-A-N-O-N, canon, not like bang, bang, canon, but like C-A-N-O-N, canon. The word comes from the Greek word kanon. Okay, and that means uh, measuring rod. So think about you teachers out there, right, that yardstick that you always kept on the whiteboard just in case you needed to point to something or hit somebody with it. That's what we're talking about, a measuring rod that would be, uh, that would be there. It, it, it therefore came to mean, canon came to mean those books which measured up to the standards necessary to be included in the Bible. We're going to measure these things against that canon. So why is this a big deal? This is a big deal, and establishing the canon was a big deal because there were tons of literary works that people tried to add to the Bible or place on the same level of authority. Over and over and over again, this happened. To add or subtract from the canon would create two issues, right? If we added a book to the canon, all of a sudden, we are doing things that the Bible, that God does not command us to do. We are living in such a way that God has not commanded us to live. Okay, think about the Pharisees. In the New Testament, for those of you who've been around church, right, the Pharisees started adding things to the law, started adding requirements. So normally on, a, you know, on, on their Sabbath, people weren't supposed to work. Okay, well, all of a sudden the Pharisees came up with a number, a step count that you could take that didn't qualify as work from that point forward, right? So these are things that were added. 
Okay? So if we were to add to the canon of Scripture, we have that issue. If we were to remove from the canon of Scripture, all of a sudden, you know, God's commands were omitted and subtracted. They wouldn't be known to his people throughout all of the generations. We would have no clue what God, how God wanted us to act at that point. We, as, as his followers, wouldn't truly know how to obey Christ completely because we would have an incomplete record of God's desires for our lives. Okay? So those are the two issues that come up. So how do we get what we got? You guys good? Good? Can you sharpen a pencil or anything? All right, cool. Let's keep moving. So the Bible actually started, okay, this is when the Bible started. The Bible started with words that were written in God's own handwriting. You guys know that? Pretty fascinating. The Bible started with God's own handwriting. You guys actually all know the story. And for record, I'm pretty sure it was perfect cursive, okay? I, don't, I, can't, I can't confirm or deny that, but if it's God's handwriting, it's got to be perfect cursive. You know it is. Um, but you guys know the story, right? God's handwriting, God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets themselves. That's where the Word of God officially starts. He wrote on two tablets of stone what he wanted to tell these people. So what happened was, is the Israelites, they take these two tablets, they place them in this big scary thing called the Ark of the Covenant that people were terrified of, mostly because of Indiana Jones. Okay, and they place it in that thing, and then they carry around the word of God with them everywhere they go. Okay, the prophets were able to add to this. So the word of God grew in size throughout the history of Israel over and over and over again. Things were added. Moses added to the collection of written words of God. Okay, that's in Deuteronomy 31. You want to look that up? Go nuts. Okay, and then following him, Joshua added to the written words of God. Uh, that's in Joshua 24, 26. And so this pattern of prophets adding to all the writings was carried on until about 435 B.C. And at that time, the writing period was kind of drawing to an end for the prophets, okay, all the prophets that are in there. Um, and it was then taken up by, uh, 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 Ze- or, sorry, Zechariah and Malachi finished up the prophetic writing. And the historical books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther were then concluded there. Okay, so that's the Old Testament, which is great to know. It's great to know where all of these things came from, man. It continued to be added on and added on and added on. And at this point, uh, uh, we need to understand where this evidence comes from. So how is it trustworthy? Where is the evidence to trust it? Number one, you can trust it because the Bible affirms itself, okay? This is the Old Testament tells you that this is the word of God, okay? For a lot of people, you're like, hey, that's that's a circular argument. That doesn't make sense. You can't say the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, right? Okay, but this is important to note. Because if the Bible contradicted the Bible, then it would no longer be truthful, correct? Something in there would be incorrect. So we have to recognize that from the Old Testament itself, it says that it's true. The law of Moses is seen as authoritative. It tells us that in Joshua. So we have the book of Joshua, a prophet in Joshua saying that, hey, the law of Moses, a different book of the Bible, is the authoritative word of God. Okay? The prophets claim to be speaking from God. We see that in Joshua 6. We see it in 1 Kings 16. The Old Testament affirms the Old Testament. Okay? That's important. Second thing we need to know where the evidence is. Number two, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of you guys have heard of this discovery. If you have not looked up the Dead Sea Scrolls and you want to geek out a little bit, go look up the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls were in 1947. The story goes like this. There's just some guy walking along the west, bank of, uh, the, yeah, the west bank of the Dead Sea, and he's just kicking rocks, and he gradually just you know, falls down, or doesn't fall down, leans down, throws a rock, and uh, all of a sudden he hears something shatter. He right? just throws a rock up into the hills, no big deal, but something shatters, right? 
And all of a sudden, he's like, what did I just break? I thought I was throwing it at stone. So he walks up, and the single most important discovery regarding our Bible was made in the last 100 years. There were jars in one discovery. Nearly 1,000 years were bridged in terms of our oldest manuscripts of the Bible to our newest ones. Okay, the find included complete books or portions of every single Old Testament book in our Bibles except the book of Esther. Absolutely astounding that we were able to find this, okay? And it came because some fisherman, I don't know if it was a fisherman, but the story gets better if it was a fisherman, grabs a rock and throws it into the hills and hears something shatter, okay? So incredibly important. This allowed us to see that the earliest manuscripts that we have were the same as the most recent manuscripts we had. And nothing was changed except small scribal errors in, in the middle of that time. Okay, so it was just evidence upon evidence upon evidence. So that's the second reason we can trust the Old Testament. Third reason, okay, the third reason we can trust it is because of a guy by the name of Josephus. Okay, Josephus was a guy who was a, he was a Jewish historian in the first century. Okay, and Josephus is a, a neutral third party. You may not have heard of him before. He's not an apostle. He's not in the Bible or anything like that. He's simply a historian who then that historian who has no vested interest in this now says that everything that was written down is true, okay? Not in the Bible. Again, just, just a random dude who was a historian. If you have time, I don't have time to go into Josephus now. If you have time and you want to, look up that dude because it's a, it's a, it's a party. Um, and the last thing and most importantly regarding the Old Testament and the truthfulness of the Old Testament that we have to affirm is that Jesus also affirms it, right? We're, we're on this side of the resurrection of Christ, so we need to make sure that anything that we're teaching from, man, Jesus is going to affirm this also. This is a massive deal for us. This is important because if you believe in Jesus and think he was a great teacher, you should probably look at the things that he was saying, the quotes that he was using, right? Jesus was quoting things straight out of the Old Testament, okay? He believes in the authority of the Old Testament. He believes in the Holy Spirit inspiring these works. There's tons of things, but beyond that, he believed in Noah. Luke 17, 26 talks about that, the fact that he believed, he believed in Noah, that he believed in the historicity of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? He talks about that in Matthew 10, 15. Then that was actually the basis for his own condemnation. His own resurrection, he actually connects to the Old Testament story of Jonah in Matthew 12, 40. His view of marriage and relationships was centered on the record of Adam and Eve in Matthew 19, 4 to 6. You cannot in good conscience believe in Jesus, believe that Jesus is a good person, a good teacher, and also believe in the word of God. You can't separate the two. They have to go together. If you believe one, you have to believe the other. It's as simple as that. So people, as they say, well, I believe that, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, moral guy, you know, whatever. And then you say, but you know what? I don't believe the Bible. Some of you have probably heard people proclaim that. That's not possible. You cannot believe that Jesus is a good person or a good teacher and then throw out the Bible. Because the most complete record we have of Jesus, how did you meet him? Probably in the pages of the Bible, right? So if you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe Jesus. You don't believe Jesus, you don't believe the Bible. It's as simple as that. But that's the Old Testament. Why should we trust the Old Testament? Okay, we're going to push into the New Testament. Okay, in the same way that the Old Testament affirmed itself, the New Testament actually does the same thing. It says so in 2 Peter three fifteen to 16. It's up on the screen. It should say this. So also our beloved brother Paul, he wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, 
speaking of this as he does in all of his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Before I break this down, can we just appreciate Peter as a fisherman saying, you know what, the words I'm going to use here, man, I'm going to use ignorant and unstable. Probably not the most eloquent way to be able to address people who don't understand scripture, but Peter's like, hey, I'm a fisherman. I'm going to tell it as I see it. Ignorant and unstable people. But what I want to draw your attention to here is actually the word that's translated scriptures. If you can see that on the screen or you're reading along um, at home, uh, it's, uh, it's at the very, la- it's the very last word there, as they do the other scriptures. So there's a Greek word here. The Greek word there for scriptures is graphe. Okay, G-R, it's spelled like graph with an E at the end, graphe. Um, and so this word, it occurs 51 times in the New Testament. Okay, so this is important. It's a word that we have context for. We understand when this word is used. This word is used every single time except here to describe the Old Testament scripture. Okay, this is important because Peter, Paul, all of these guys on the other side of Christ's resurrection... All of these guys would have affirmed the the Old Testament as Scripture, as the authority of God. And so the fact that Peter is using this word here, talking about Paul writing, is now saying what? That, hey, Paul's words are actually Scripture. These are God-breathed words. So like the Old Testament, the New Testament is affirming itself as as the Word of God. Okay, again, it could be that circular reasoning thing that may, may catch you, okay, but it's better this way than the other, where they're saying, no, that guy's not preaching truth. No, that guy's not preaching truth. This is an important thing for us to be able to understand, okay? It's great that Peter affirmed Paul, but the criteria, what criteria was used in order to label something as canon, okay? There are four primary tests in order to make it into the Bible that we have today. The first test is the test of authority. So if you're a note taker, write down authority. Okay, that's a biblical word, or it's a theological word rather, authority. Okay, so in relation to the Old Testament, authority simply meant like a lawgiver or a prophet or a leader of Israel behind them. Like that was the authority. In the New Testament, it meant having the authority of an apostle in order to be considered for the canon. Okay, so not just anybody could pick up and start writing a book. Okay, you had to have an, either the apostle had to write it or they had to write it, they had to be supported by the apostle. That way, the authority rested on the apostle. Okay, this is an eyewitness account. The New Testament is an eyewitness account, has eyewitness authority behind it. It's not a he said, she said, he said type of thing. It's nope, these people came, they saw exactly what it is that went down and then they recorded it. Okay, actually, Second Peter, or First John, rather, tells us that, chapter 1, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3. John writes about this very thing. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John right here in verse 1 is like, look, the word of life, this is Jesus Okay, we're going to talk to you about Jesus, the, uh, the, him who was from the beginning. We talked with him. We ate with him. We sat with him. We touched him. These are all of the things that we saw and did. Verse 2, the life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. 
And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John here is like, look, I sat with him, I ate with him. Please now let me tell you about him so then you can be welcomed into the fellowship. That was the test of authority. Did somebody see it? Did the apostle see it? So the authority rested on the apostle, an eyewitness account. The second test we have to, we have to keep, in, keep in mind here is the test of truth. Truth. Okay, the book under consideration, it had to kind of show consistency with the doctrinal truth of the Old Testament of other apostles, and most importantly, of Christ. So if something came in and it contradicted something else that we had already affirmed as part of Scripture, it was tossed out. That's one of the main reasons that these, uh, these extra-biblical uh, gospel accounts that we have, man, it was contradictory to some of the other stories. So they would tell a story in a different version. They would say something that, that you know, pe- people were supposed to live according this way, and it was contradictory to other Scripture. And so because of that, tossed out. Not okay. Not going to happen, right? So in other words, it couldn't contradict what was previously written. You can't say one thing and then contradict yourself and expect people to believe you as truthful, right? Ask anybody who's been following politics for any amount of time. You can't say one thing, contradict yourself, and still assume that people are going to believe you. Yeah, that's how you get the reputation of Congress. So next test, test of uniqueness, (laughs) Okay, uniqueness is the next one. To be taken into the canon of Scripture, for us to be able to accept it into the canon of Scripture, the book under question had to show internal evidence of its unique nature as proof of its inspiration. Okay, it had to be unique. This was more subjective, but it was based on part in the conviction that God's word is powerful and God's word is able to change people's hearts and lives. Okay, Josh McDowell, he's a famous theologian. Uh, he's still alive. I know oftentimes we talk about theologians and we're like, oh, they probably died a couple hundred years ago. No, this one's still alive and he's not a couple hundred years old. He says it this way. He says, the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years in various places, stretching all the way from Babylon to Rome. The human authors included over 40 persons from various stations of life. Kings, peasants, poets, herdsmen, fishermen, scientists, farmers, priests, pastors, tent makers, and governors. It was written in a wilderness, in a dungeon, inside palaces and prisons, on lonely islands, and in military battles. Yet it speaks with agreement and reliability on hundreds of controversial subjects. Yet it tells one story from beginning to end. God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ. No person could have possibly conceived of or written such a work. Whew! Not possible. Not possible. In other words, it had to be unique but spoke the same exact story as the other authors. Okay, so going back to our example of Peter and Paul, man, they came from two very different stations in life. But what do we know is true about them? They both encountered Jesus and their lives were changed forever in the same exact way. But it was unique. It was different. The last one, and I feel like the most important test for the canon of Scripture is this one. It's the test of acceptance by the church. The test of acceptance by the church. As books circulated, as letters circulated from Paul and from Peter and the different apostles and all of that stuff, these letters weren't just like accepted and read. 
right? It wasn't just like a member of the congregation can send a letter to another church and be like, hey, read my letter. God told me to do this. That's not how it worked, okay? These had to be accepted and used by them. They needed to gain approval by those early churches. In truth, there was no book that was doubted by any large number of churches that eventually made it into the canon. So every single book that made it into the canon, all of the churches agreed that this was the authority and the word of God. Okay, and this is an important note because one of the things that skeptics of the Bible will constantly throw out, and this is one of those conspiracy theory things and a a truth and just gets slightly distorted, is that a lot of people think the New Testament books were chosen by a council of very few people around 400 A.D., Okay, I want to tell you that is true. A council got together around 400 A.D. and said this is the closed canon of Scripture. Here's why they did that. Because people were trying to add books to the Bible of, of words that were already accepted as canon. The canon didn't just, just materialize 320-something years after John died. It's not how it worked. Okay, from that point forward, they used all of these books of Scripture in one location to say, hey, this is our Bible. That being said, there were more people trying to add more books into the Bible. So the church was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and rubber stamp what we all already know. These are the books of the Bible that we have been using for 320 plus years. Can we just say at this point, this is all we're ever going to be using? And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Rubber stamp it. Now we're done. So they never had any, from that point forward, they never had anybody trying to add more scripture to it because the canon was closed. It was completely and totally done. The book of Revelation tells us that. John tells us that in the book of Revelation when he talks about the fact that, hey, nothing should be added or taken away from the things that are written in this book. All right, sounds pretty good for me. Let's end it with the book of Revelation. Okay. Those were the tests. These were the things that you had to do, that that, that these books had to walk through for entry into the canon. But even if everything I just said was completely, totally thrown out, and this Bible just happened to magically appear, we had no context, we had no history for where any of this came from, we had no clue where any of this came from, and we just had the Bible, and we had to rely on the Bible of faith alone, there's one thing that should still be able to convince you that the the Bible is God's word. And that thing is, is personal experience in reading his word. You should be able to pick up the word of God and recognize that it is different than anything else you have ever read. There is power in it. There is transformative power in his word. And so as you read that, your life will be changed. Okay? As you read that, things, will, things in your life will begin to change because you will no longer be okay and content sitting and talking at God for, or God talking at you for an hour. You now get the opportunity to open his word and enter into a relationship with him, a life-transforming relationship with him that proves the authenticity of God's word, even if nothing else I just said existed. Personal testimony of people's life. Okay, so let's get back to church now. You guys good? Okay, you guys sat in the classroom for a while. I appreciate your patience. Okay, let's get back to church now. Okay, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? All of this matters because God's word is true. All of this matters, and that's your last slide for the day. All of this matters. We read the Bible because 
it's true. And I can't give you a better reason for reading the Bible than the fact that it's true. Okay, most of us in here would probably think to ourselves, we're pretty logical thinkers. Yeah, I want to make sure that everything that I'm reading, that I'm sourcing everything I'm reading, I want to make sure that these different things are true and all of that stuff. Okay, this is the best answer I can give you. Okay, the word of God is true, it's legitimate, and because of that, it's life-changing. Okay, don't look at the Bible and say, hey, you know what, the Bible is important. I'm going to read the Bible because it's life-changing. That is true. But we need to come at it from a standpoint of, hey, the Bible is true. And because of the fact it's true, the words in it are life-changing, not the other way around. Okay? Every single one of us, probably at some point or another, has wanted to lead a life where we live for something greater. Okay, we want to be a part, whether that's starting your own business or, you know, becoming whatever it may be. You want to grow, you want to be a part of a movement maybe that makes you feel like you've accomplished something great, something that be, is, is beyond our means. Here's the exciting thing. The Bible doesn't exist for that reason, but the Bible does allow for that. Okay, the Bible allows for us to be part of the same story that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Okay, a, story, a story that started getting written down as God penned in perfect cursive on the Ten Commandments. Again, I don't know if that's true or not, so don't quote me on that. Okay, but it started all the way back then, and it continues in 2021. It is real, it is authoritative, and you get to live as a part of that story as something bigger than who we are. All of us have the opportunity to read the very words of God and then move them into our lives, apply them into our lives. And as we live those perfect and truthful words day in and day out, we come to an understanding and a relationship with a perfect and holy father who sent his perfect and holy son to die on a cross for each and every one of us. And now we get an opportunity to live with his perfect and holy spirit as our lives are completely and totally transformed. How do we know this? Why is this important? Why do we know, need to know how to read the Bible? We need to know how to read the Bible because the Bible is true and the Bible is transformative. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for class today. God, thank you just for the opportunity to, uh, man, do some lecture on where your word came from and how we know that we can trust your word. And God, I know that, uh, you know, oftentimes it can be a, a burden or feel burdensome. It can feel like I don't understand it and dates and times and all this stuff. But the reality is, is that every single piece of this scripture, as your word says, is God breathed. Every single piece of your scripture is true. And Father, because of that, I pray that we would be so, so, uh, we would desire so much to understand truth, to understand your word, that we would just be driven into the hands of you and the Bible every single day. Every single day. And not that we have to sit there and read it 24 hours a day, Father, but to be able to open it and recognize that we cannot have a full relationship with you apart from your word, apart from understanding what it is that, that you have asked us to do, what it is that you have already done for us. So Father, I just pray for a second that we as the church, the capital C church, man, that we would just simply say yes to your word and say yes to opening it and seeing what it has for us that you've documented for us. If I, I don't know, maybe there's people here today 
who maybe haven't said yes to you, maybe haven't said yes to your word, and maybe one of the hangups was your word. I don't know, God, but, but if that's you today with head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I had some serious doubts about the Bible. I just got to jump in. I got to jump in, and now's the time. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. We just, I don't need a public acknowledgement or anything like that. All I would ask is that you would pray along with me in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that. Romans tells us that, that all of us have fallen short of your glory. So I admit that, Father. But B, I believe that Jesus came and died on a cross and ultimately conquered death so I could be with you, for, be with you forever. I believe that because your word says it, Father. And see, I choose to follow you every single day. And we recognize that a part of choosing to follow you every single day is opening up your word and seeing what it is that you would have for us. Father, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your son and your spirit, and we are so thankful for your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you all for joining us today, whether in person and online. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.